In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So our, our gospel reading, if you recall, was John chapter 15. Feel free to turn there in the Bible if you wish, because we'll be going uh, through it in a fair amount of detail. And the title of the sermon today is Checking Our Connection. And I had in mind kind of a um, digital metaphor to add to the natural metaphor uh, in the gospel reading, because I think we've all had the experience of fiddling with some kind of gadget or device and wondering if it's actually connected, whether that be to the internet or to um, data or what have you. And so you have to do stuff to, to, to see if it's connected. And if you're like me, what you do is you pretty much open up a web, web browser and you open up a web page, right, to see if the web page loads. Because if you have a connection, the web page is going to load. And if you're really tricky and, and you realize that your, your device actually stores some web pages on it, it can actually load some web pages from memory, what you really want to do is find some web page, that web page that's updated very often, like a news website, and go to there and see if it loads. And if you have a connection, it's gonna, you're going to get new information uh, from that connection. And uh, one of the, the, the metaphor, the abiding metaphor here in, in John 15 is the idea of we too have a connection that we have to maintain if we're going to lead the Christian life, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus. And that, that connection is with Jesus himself in some mysterious and, and mystical way. Uh, so in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. So the image here is of a plant, um, a vine, a, a, like a vine of grapes, will have branches that come off of it. And those branches have to maintain a connection with the vine if they're going to live and, and bear fruit. And Jesus says not just that he is, he's not just making a comparison between him and a vine. He doesn't just say, I am like a vine or I am a vine. He says, I am the true vine. Why, why say I am the true vine? Well, the truth of it is, many of us realize that we do need strength from outside of ourselves. We realize that we can't maintain ourselves just through our own energy and strength and efforts. But not all of us are drawing the strength that we need from Jesus. People look for strength in many things other than Jesus. You might look for strength in... Um, Food. You might look for strength in wealth. You might look for strength in uh, alcoholic beverages. You might look for strength in entertainment. There's all sorts of things that we can lean on and try to draw our strength from. But Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm the one you have to get your strength and life from. If you're not drawing your strength and life from me, you're not getting it from the source that you need it from, and you're not getting the real strength that you need. And in this um, comparison, Jesus is the true vine from which we get that life. And his father, the, the God, the father of the Trinity, is the husbandman, the one who tends the vines. So in this image, Jesus is like the plant and the God, the father, is like the person who cares for the plants and makes sure they grow properly. And so continuing this image in verse 2, he says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. So one of the things that a good farmer has to do is he has to recognize the plants 
that are working and thriving and bearing fruit like they're supposed to, and he has to recognize the ones that are not bearing fruit, that are not productive, so that he can take those away. And that's a part of maintaining the health of any kind of um, living plant when you're cultivating it. And so that's one of the jobs that the father has is to remove branches that are not bearing fruit. But on, initially, this seems kind of mysterious, especially once we read the, the rest of the passage, to think that there could be a branch in Jesus that wouldn't bear fruit. How can there be anyone who could be a branch in Jesus that can have, in some sense, a connection with Jesus that then would not go on to bear fruit, that wouldn't have the kind of energy and strength that they need from Jesus to, um, to really have that true life that he gives? And I think the answer to that conundrum is just that there are those who profess to be a part of the branch, that profess to be branches on the true vine that are not in fact. So we know it's possible to say that we have fellowship with the light. If you remember our sermon on 1 John chapter 1, we can say that we have fellowship in the light and then walk in darkness. And if, we, and if we say that, we're lying. So merely professing Christianity, merely saying the right things, merely claiming Jesus, going to church, partaking of the sacraments, these are all good things, but none of them is sufficient in itself if it's not joined with true faith and true sincerity. And if we don't have that true faith and true sincerity, we won't have that vital connection to the vine that we need to flourish as branches. And then one of the things that the Father will do is that in, in the fullness of time, he will take those branches away, those, those hypocrites that profess Christianity without having a heart of sincerity. He's going to take those branches away. That's one of his jobs as the husbandman. And then furthermore, the Father also will purge says it, he purges the branches that do have a connection, that do have a true connection with Jesus. He purges those that they may bring forth more fruit. So even if we are connected to the vine, even if we are participating in this life of Jesus, even if we are sincere believers in him and have a true connection with him that allows us to bring forth fruit, there's still going to be things, other things that we're bringing forth that aren't good. The sinful tendencies of the flesh do not evaporate once we become Christians, they are not immediately removed just when we embark upon the Christian life in truth and sincerity. The sinful corruption of our nature is still going to be bringing forth things that keep us from bearing fruit. And one of the things that God is going to be doing as we go along the way, as we lead the Christian life, he's going to be pruning those things away. He's going to be purging those things. He's going to be removing those things. So the Christian life is not uh, merely making a profession of faith and being sincere about it, and then we're done. It's a constant process of repentance, of becoming aware of our sins, and then through the Father's help, removing those sins from us, becoming aware of them and repenting of them and turning away from them. Now, you, it's hard to see this in translation, but in the next verse, in verse 3, when he says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, that word clean and that word in the previous verse, purgeth, are actually pretty much two forms of the same word in Greek. They, they look pretty much the same. So it's almost as if Jesus has said, 
and every branch that beareth fruit, he cleans it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean. It's almost like two forms of the same word, the verbal form and then the adjectival form. So these, he's, Jesus is actually putting two very closely related ideas here when he says in, the second, in verse 2, he purgeth it, and in verse 3, now ye are clean. And this statement, now ye are clean, I think is actually a reference to a several chapters before, um, actually chapter 13, when it might, have been the, it might have been the gospel we read on Monday, Thursday, actually, because it's one of the gospel readings that's appointed for Monday, Thursday. Um, but in, in chapter 13, when he's having the uh, Last Supper with the disciples and he washes their feet, he says, you are clean, but not all of you. And he's really referring to Judas, who's among the disciples and who he knows is going to betray him and fall away. He says, um, you are clean, but not all of you are clean. And now he's, Judas seems to be out of view. Judas is no longer in, under consideration because now he can just talk to disciples and say, now ye are clean, without qualification, without any, without any reservation. So what's interesting to me about that is this process of being cleaned is both done and still being accomplished. In one sense, Jesus can say, you are clean, in another sense, Jesus can say you're still being cleaned. Um, so this is both something that's already happened and something that's still in the process of happening. And the, and the traditional theological language to discuss this is justification versus sanctification. So justification, as the theologians teach it, is an instantaneous. As soon as we profess sincere faith in Jesus, Jesus' obedience and righteousness is attributed to us such that when God looks at us, he does not see our own imperfection and our own sin and the corruption of our nature any longer, but he sees only Jesus and his righteousness. So that's instantaneous, that's complete. There's nothing that can be added to our justification. There's nothing that can be taken away from our justification. It's totally complete once we profess faith in God and are adopted as his children. But the process of sanctification whereby our behaviors are purified, whereby we go through a process of continually repenting of our sins and growing in holiness and righteousness and abounding in the kinds of fruit that this gospel promises to us, that process of sanctification is something that's ongoing and lifelong, and indeed it's only complete after this life is over. We're always going to be struggling with the sinful flesh in this life and those sins will, that ability to sin will only be completely taken away from us when we are in paradise with Jesus and we are in our glorified bodies with him. So we need to take comfort in the fact that this, in one sense, this is already done. We're already clean. We're not earning our salvation and we're not losing our salvation either. That salvation has already been accomplished for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But there's also an ongoing process of becoming holier and holier that will continue throughout our lives. And again, Jesus is pretty clear that you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So this, this, this once and for all type of cleanness happens through faith. It happens from us hearing Jesus' words and believing in him and putting our trust in him. It's not something that we have to accomplish by dint of our own effort necessarily, but merely by sincerely putting our faith in Jesus. So he continues on in verse 4, describing more about what this relationship is like. 
Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Are you willing to believe that? Are you willing to believe that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing? Is there a part of you that wants to hold something back? To say, yeah, Jesus kind of puts the icing on the cake. He kind of puts the cherry on top of the, of the milkshake. But <laughs> there, without him, I could still do some things. I would still be kind of good. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, apart, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no fruit that you can bear apart from him. There's no goodness or worthiness in us that does not derive from him. But do we really believe that? Many people, especially secular people, people that are um, in the militant atheist camp, perhaps, and a lot of people that are just plainly confused, sincerely ask the question, can I be good without God? Do I really need God to be good? Do I really need to be a religious person or a Christian in order to be a good person? And what the real response to that question is, is what do you mean by good? Because we don't get to define that for ourselves. We're the creation. We're the creature. We're not the creator. We don't get to decide for ourselves what it means to be good or what it means to be a fully flourishing human life. That's something that was decided for us when we were created by God. If you want, you can say, well, my computer doesn't have a connection to the, to the internet. My phone doesn't have a connection to the phone network, but it still has a little calculator on it. And even if I don't have a connection, I can make calculations on my phone. And so I can do something without a connection. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to redefine being a phone so that all being a phone means is that I can do little arithmetic operations. And so there, boom, therefore I have a phone. Well, you, you've, you've changed the meaning of the term, but you haven't really changed what you are. You're not a phone unless you have that connection. You're not... You're not able to get new information unless you have that connection to this wider network. And it may be possible for us to do some things that are nice for other people. It might po be possible for us to do some things that are benefits to other people. It might be possible for us to refrain from certain evil things that we might otherwise do. There might not be any warrants out for our arrest. We might not be wanted in the state of California you know, et cetera, et cetera, and we can just redefine good to mean that. But that's not how God defines goodness. It's not just this average kind of standard of I'm not really that bad, I'm not in, I'm not in, in, in Leavenworth, I'm not, um, I, do, I don't kick puppies every day. Um, no, um, that's not what goodness is. Goodness is, is loving our creator and giving thanks to him and walking in the good works that he set out for us to work in. That's what God calls good. And he's the creator. 
It's his definition that we have to go by. And in a way, it's a kind of a strange idea. Suppose that you knew somebody who was volunteering at the soup kitchen every weekend, serving hungry people. Um, They were nice to other people. You never heard them say a cross or unkind word to other people. It seemed like in some ways they had really good character. You You would trust them to look after your house or look after your pets because they seemed like a trustworthy person. But then you find out that they have parents that live not too far away, and these parents are living in utter misery. These parents are in a terrible situation, and this, um, their child will do nothing to help them. He's volunteering at soup kitchens, he's, he's nice to other people, he seems like a trustworthy person, but he won't do anything to help his own parents. You would think that's rather odd, right? You might think, is there a a fracture in this relationship? Have they been estranged in some way? And you ask about that, and you're like, no. I don't have any ill will towards them. I just have no desire to help them or do any kind of good towards them. You would think that was very strange, that this person seems to do good to other people, but won't do good to the people who he owes everything to, his life and his existence and, and the fact that he was raised by them. And in a way, it's something even worse when someone claims to be good but won't give thanks to God. The debt that we owe to God for our very existence and our body and every other blessing that we have received is incalculably greater to even the debt that we owe to our earthly parents, though that is also very great. And so if we claim to be good, if we claim to do good works and be nice to other people, but we are not willing to give thanks and respect to God and serve Him, what value is any of the other stuff that we do? What, what value is any of it? It's just a strange, it's just a strange disconnect between the values that we profess and the way that we actually live. If we want to be good, yes, we need God. That's the first thing we need. We need to give thanks for Him for the blessings that we've received at His hand, and we need to serve Him because we owe Him obedience and service. But apart from Jesus, apart from a vital, collection, uh, a vital connection with our vine, that service is not going to happen, and that fruit is not going to be born. We need God to be good. And without him, we can do nothing. And as if to drive home that point, in verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Not only can we do no good apart from God, or maybe we should say in consequence of the fact that we can do no good apart from God, without God, we're useless. We're not good for anything but to be cast away. If we don't have that vital life in us, if we are not in the service of our Creator, then our life is meaningless. In verse 7, Jesus goes on to describe more of this vital connection. He says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So, obviously, what this means is, once we have sincerely professed faith and have entered into the service of God and have this vital connection with Jesus, all I have to do is kneel down and ask for a Rolls Royce, and it will manifest itself before me. Wealth and comfort are yours for the taking, and it will all come to you in due time. No, <laughs> that's not what this means. Um, it may sound like that, that what it means, because it says, it, it, you know, whatever you ask, it shall be done unto you. 
Um, but we don't, we can't ignore the first part of this verse. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. If Jesus' words are abiding in us, and we are abiding in him, it's shaping the kinds of things that we desire. And what Jesus is saying is that as your desires are shaped in that way, and you're asking for these things, those things are going to be provided for you. You're going to want patience. You're going to want the forgiveness of your sins. You're going to want growth and holiness and righteousness. You're going to want opportunities to do good unto other people. You're going to want opportunities to serve other people. And you're going to pray for these things, and God's going to give them to you. Those are the kinds of things. Not the gratification of our own desires. Not that everything that we might want to happen in life will happen to us. Or that everything we might not want to happen in life will not happen to us. Those are not the kinds of things that are being promised here. But the growth in the kinds of desires that Jesus will give us as we are maintaining our vital connection with him. And what are the, what are the result of these things? In verse 8, herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Does this mean that the maintenance of this vital connection depends on us and our own efforts? Do we get into this covenant with Jesus by grace, but do we have to maintain it through our own hard work? Should we worry that at some point there's going to be some kind of reckoning up of our good deeds and bad deeds, and God is going to say, yeah, you, were, you had sincerely had faith in Jesus, but your performance after that point was just not up to snuff, so you're out. No, that's not how, that's not how it works. Um, that's like... That's like thinking that you have a, a phone or a computer that lacks a connection. Um, so what I'll do is I'll get somebody else to tell me what's on CNN.com today, and I'll just kind of like put it on the screen. I'll like paint it on the screen or something like that. And if I do that really hard and I, and I really work really hard on it, it'll be like having a connection. No, you, you, you don't... The, the, the phone or the computer does not earn the Wi-Fi connection, okay? It just has that connection, and because that connection exists, it can do those kinds of things. It can access that kind of information. These works are not something we do to earn our place with Jesus. These are works that come from our place in Jesus. They're a consequence of that vital connection. There's something that he gives us and he enables us to do as we abide in him. So it's not that we're earning it or that we can fall short due to a lack of performance. It's that the evidence of that, the fact that that vital connection exists is the fact that these fruits and these works and the keeping of the commandments and the love of other people is being produced in us. If we don't see that, if we don't see any fruit happening, if we don't see us turning away from our sins and repenting and that sort of thing, should we question whether we have that vital connection? Should we examine ourselves to see if our profession of Jesus is sincere? Absolutely we should. But it's never works like thinking, oh, I don't have enough good works, so let me check off some things on my good work to-do list. Let me rack up some points 
and then I will be able to quiet my conscience and, and, and quiet the, the guilt. Um, no, those works are evidence of our faith, but they do not produce faith in and of themselves. There's something that follow from our faith. And then finally in verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Again, this does not mean that Jesus is promising us an easy life. He's not promising us that there won't be sickness, that there won't be misfortune, that there won't be um, the death that comes to, to everyone in time. There won't be that there won't be grief. No, all those things are going to be a part of our existence. In this world, you will have trouble, as Jesus says elsewhere. But if we are maintaining this vital connection with Jesus, he enables us to walk through these trials with a kind of joy, a kind of joy and a kind of peace that baffles the rest of the world, that makes the rest of the world ask, how can they possibly face the situation with this content? How can they possibly face the situation and still find any happiness and joy in life? We can do it because Jesus is supplying it to us. We can do it, we can have this joy because we have his joy that he's willing to give this joy to us. And so, just as you would check a connection on a gadget or a device, we need to check our connection. Are we bearing the kind of fruit that Jesus promises to those who believe sincerely in him? Are we abounding in the kind of peace and joy the kind of obedience and faithfulness that Jesus is here promising to those who have faith in him and who abide in him. If we're not seeing it, yes, we need to examine ourselves. Yes, we need to question whether our profession of Jesus is sincere. We need to be able to see the fruits of that connection, just like we can see the fruits of, a, of, a, of an internet connection with the amount of new things that get produced by it. And as, as those new things are produced in us, we need to be thankful to the one from whom those things come, to Jesus who, who, and from God, who gives us every good and perfect gift. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that we can do nothing apart from your Son, Jesus. We know that we need to be connected to him in order to bear the kind of fruit that makes us good, that makes us your disciples, that will give us joy and enable us to have faithfulness and obedience. We pray that we would examine our hearts and that if we have not yet done it, that we would sincerely put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we would be connected to the vine, that we might be fruitful branches and that we might be brought in the fullness of time into your eternal kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our offertory hymn is number 174.